The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you and it's a joy to share Psalm 47 as we continue what the theme of our service has already been, that we praise the exalted King. So I invite you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 47. If you don't have a copy and under a chair in front of you, there should be a chair Bible. We're on page 472 in the chair Bible. Also, I want you to notice uh, in the back of a chair in front of you is a guest card. If you've never let us know that you've been joining us for worship or maybe today's your first time, we'd love to know that you're here. You can fill out that card and drop it in the offering plate at the end of the service And that'll let us know that you're here worshiping among us. We seek to honor the Lord by singing unto him and by doing what he has told us to do to proclaim his word. So today we come in our study through the Psalms to Psalm 47. So I invite you, if you would, to stand as Joseph leads us in the reading of the word. Psalm 47, to the choir master a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the shout of a trumpet, Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with the song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the God, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Father, as we bow in your presence, we confess that you are the great king and that you alone deserve our worship and our praise. Further, Lord, we confess that we live in an age of confusion and turmoil, nations against nations, turmoil within our own country as people are at odds with each other. We do pray today for our president, for Congress and for others, Lord, that they would seek to carry out their duties as been given to them and that they would do so in a way that leads to peace and to the betterment of this nation. I pray for the leaders of the world, many of them up to no good, seeking harm and selfishness. You are Lord over them, and I pray that your will be done. God, calm our hearts today. More importantly, lead us to understand that you are the king, and may that lead us to rejoicing. We pray in Christ's name, amen. There'll be three basic responses to what we're doing here today through our times of singing, which we will follow with an elongated time of singing after the sermon, and through the time of the sermon. Really, I, I, I think there are going to be three responses. One, I pray the most, is glad submission. The second response will be indifference or boredom. And I just want to say to you, if you came here, and some of you aren't even hearing this right now because you've already decided, If you've came here, you decided 
all preachers are boring and everything that you do in church is boring and I'm done. I'm just going to take a break for a few minutes, go to the bathroom five times. Would you give me 10 minutes? If after 10 minutes I'm blowing it, take a nap. All right? But at least consider 10 minutes. The third response is hostility. You don't have to get on social media for a moment that if you make an absolute truth claim in the world, hostility is going to rise. And there'll be some who have a hostile response to what I will say today. Ultimately, ultimately, you're either going to acknowledge that God is king or you're going to temporarily ignore it. I'll explain what I mean about that later. Here's my main idea. The people of God from all nations, and by the way, there are more people of God than Americans. All right? In fact, there are way more Christians in the world than there are in America. The majority of Christians live outside of the United States. The people of God from all nations are commanded and compelled to praise the exalted king. Now, now here's how Psalm 47 is, is laid out for you in the scripture. It, it contains proclamation and prophecy inside of a song or a poetic song. And this song is put together in a very unique way. Now, you'll see it as I unfold the sermon. Verse 1 is paralleled by verse 6. Verse 2 is paralleled by verse 7 and so on. I'll show you how this works as we move through the rest of the message. Two major points. First, the people of God from all nations are commanded to praise the exalted king. The vision here is worldwide. Peoples, nations, all the earth, these kind of words dominate the psalm. There's a note of joy that is throughout the psalm as well. For this king is not a tyrant. He is established in that he is awesome and that his judgments are right and that his choices are right. It is calling to all the peoples, not simply to Israel. The extraordinary God and his incredible blessings demand worldwide praise. So let me remind you, according to the New Testament, in his kingdom there is neither Jew nor Gentile, for we are all in Christ. We are one in him, and we collectively, regardless of our tongue or our tribe or our nation and our land, we collectively respond to Christ our King with one voice. In verse 1 it says, Clap your hands, all peoples, all nations. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. So there's two commands in this verse. The command to clap and the command to shout. Now I think Baptists have lost that. Uh, you're chuckling at me. Like, so let's, let's just lean into this for a minute. If God commanded it, is it optional? No. Well, I'm not really like that. <laughs> Give you the right environment. Right? Let your kids or grandkids do something, and we'll just find out how much you can clap and shout. All right? We, by nature, celebrate what we enjoy. Do we? 
We celebrate what we enjoy. So God is saying here, celebrate what you enjoy. I am the chief enjoyment. We should clap our hands, all peoples, and shout to God with loud songs of joy. This is exuberant joy that involves both your body and your voice. Plummer said, those are greatly mistaken who think that the religion of Christ furnishes no cause for joy to those who truly embrace it. In fact, the blessings of the gospel awaken the strongest, most pleasing emotions in the human heart. And that joy will fill the entire earth. All peoples. Then he says in verse 6, the parallel command, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. So let's just have the argument in the lobby. Well, pastor, the Lord knows my heart. I don't really have to sing. Really. So God says in this verse, I know your heart and you really don't have to sing. No. He said, command, sing praises. For those of you who still want to argue and treat it as optional, he said it a second time, sing praises. For those of you who are going to be arrogant and stubborn, sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Now here's, here's, here's what the Bible's describing here. Clapping and shouting are exuberant forms of praise. Here, something is being described to where beauty and form come together, to where intelligent language is used that brings glory to God. It's repeated four times. Sing praises. Keep up the glad work. Never let the music pause. Why? Because God never ceases to be good. And because God never ceases to be good, we must never cease to be grateful. It's strange to me that you would have to urge people to sing. I, I, I think part of the problem for that is that many people in churches who gather don't know God. They don't have a reason to sing. I've, I've gathered with people all over the world in some very difficult places. The most memorable worship service I ever had, the guitar was so badly out of tune, it hurt your ears. The guy and the girl leading worship were so off tune, I joined right in. It was great. We just bellered and wailed in that place. But there was a joy like I had never seen before. You see, these people gathered in that little mud building were heeding what this text and what Psalm 95 says Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. I love this. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Now, some of you make a beautiful noise. I make a joyful noise. <laughs> There's nothing beautiful about what comes out of my mouth. There's a reason I sit in the far corner on the front row. 
That's not so I can get up here fast. I promise. It's so I don't bother you. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Why? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand that just as I have been commanded of God to come and to preach the word to you today, I'm not standing up here with an excuse, well, I'll just do it in my heart. I'm doing what God has commanded, and I have prepared and brought you the word. We come together and we do what God has commanded to sing. It is a part of God's mission. It's a part of how, how the gospel continues to spread is by the singing of God's people. You need to know this. I'll say more about it at the end of the service, but we have multiple staff members joining us. One of the staff members who just joined us in the last few days, he and his wife, one of the major decisions as to why they chose to come to this church is because of the way you sing. They wept through the entire worship service the first time they were here. It had been so long since they had heard the people of God with joy praise him. You need to know that what we do together has a massive impact. We are commanded to do it, but we're not commanded out of forced duty. We are commanded and we are compelled. So let's move to the second part of the sermon here, that the people of God from all nations are compelled to praise the exalted king. We have compelling reasons we sing. And we express these reasons with sound doctrine that praises God. We praise him thoughtfully, intelligently, with deep reason behind the words that we sing. One of the reasons is that he is the great king. Verse two, for the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. The proper name, Yahweh, the covenant keeping God. He is the unrivaled great king. He is the most high. There is no one like him. He is exalted. He is the authoritative one. And as the Christian standard version translates, the Lord most high is all inspiring. Everything and everyone is under his rule. Verse seven, for God is the king of all the earth. And because of that, our response is sing praises with a song. And this idea is not new to me, but it's not a direct quote. The modern church appears as if it's looking for songs that please people that amuse people. We, we've even changed the language, we haven't, that we're no longer calling worship services, we're calling worship experiences. Brothers and sisters, I just want you to know, we don't forget you when we plan worship, but we're not primarily thinking about you. We don't sit in a room and pray and ask God, what would they like to sing? What style would they like to do it? Now, we try not to do things offensive. We certainly don't sing songs that aren't theologically accurate. And if you haven't noticed, the songs go with the text. That's on purpose. We don't happen into that. We believe the word is to be sung as well as it is to be preached. And the content of our singing is to express our heart and the reason for the song. 
We're to appeal like Psalm 46.10 to each other. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In other words, we're to come together every Sunday and say, stop striving. Know that he is God. That he is to be exalted. Sing praises to him. Why? Second reason, he rules and reigns. And I just want to say this before I go into this next part. The temptation in the modern age would be to soft pedal this next part. Kind of skirt around it and start using language that puts you in the driver's seat. Listen to me. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. What does that mean? That means stubborn and hearts and rebellious wills will submit to the sovereign rule of God. It will. Evil and stubborn nations, rebellious and arrogant rulers will be placed under his feet. How do I know that? Psalm 110 says, he will make his enemies his footstool. Now notice this, the word here is us and our. So the people of God are a part of this kingdom. We are not gonna be oppressed forever. At any moment, God can and God does subdue our enemies. Seated up there to my left are most of the Great Commission team kids. Three of the different teams were questioned by the secret police in the countries they were in this week. One of them were detained right before they were get on the plane. That's yeah, quiet. They allowed them to use the phone. They called us. I'm going to tell you what we didn't do. We didn't call our senator. We went to the king. God rules and God subdues. God reigns over the nations. Verse eight, he reigns right now. He reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. He is not anxious or worried about the world that we live in. He is not moved from his throne. He knows that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is no injustice or defilement coming from his throne, only what is right and good because he is holy. He is unlike any other God and any other leader on the world, no matter how noble they are. Because Psalm 45, there's been this constant theme, by the way, 45, 46, 47, and then into 48, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. So what God decrees is always right. Now watch this. The word subdued, back up in verse 3, which is a strong word. God places under his authority. Has the overtones of speech. God is subduing with what he says. Now think about this for a minute. How is God currently subduing the nations? The answer is the gospel. Until Christ comes again, the way the peoples of the world are subdued to the lordship of Christ is through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And it's right here in the text. God is merciful and gracious. 
He chose, verse 4, our heritage for us. The pride of Jacob whom he loves. I don't know if you know much about Jacob in the Bible, but Jacob was a character. He was a rascal. He was a liar and a deceiver. And the Bible says God set his love on him. His affection on him. He chose him to be the one through whom the heritage would come. He's expanding this now to us, to us, to God's people. We know when we read Ephesians, it says in love, Ephesians 1 verse 5, in love, he that is God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. Now, how did he do this? which he has blessed us in the beloved. So our beauty, our boast, our treasure lies in placing our trust in God, in the God who loves us. Now hear this prophetic nature. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. In other words, the Lord God is fulfilling his covenant promise to Abraham. Don't answer out loud. When God came to Abraham, was Abraham a Jew? The answer is no, he was a pagan. He came to Abraham and he said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And from the lineage of Abraham came the Lord Jesus Christ. From his seed, he has blessed the families of the earth. And he has gathered a people. We see the fulfillment of this prophetic tone in Revelation chapter 1. I mean chapter 7. In verse 9 it says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands singing out with a loud voice. Now listen to the content of the song. Salvation belongs to our God. Who? Do you know the rest of it? Who sits on his throne. Just let that sink in on you for a moment. Salvation belongs to our God. It's his to give. It belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Now let's with that thought in our mind who sits on the throne, let's go to the fourth part we see in Psalm 47, that he is the ascended and coming king. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Now if you study the Old Testament, when God would send out his people to conquer a people or to conquer a land, he would do something unusual quite often. He'd put singers and musicians in the front. I don't know if that's the way to fight a battle or not, but that's how God does it. And he would tell the people, shout, play a trumpet. So you see when God has gone up, he's gone up with a shout, with the sound of a trumpet. Now let's turn over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Now while you're doing that, I don't know if anybody in here, anybody in here come from a liturgical background? In other words, your church followed the liturgy. You had different Sundays besides Christmas and Easter. Some of you. Does anybody know what today is? Today is Ascension Sunday. I didn't plan this. I promise. 
I didn't re- remember it was Ascension Sunday till Thursday this week. But here's what you would do on Ascension Sunday. You're going to read two texts of Scripture from the Old Testament. Anybody want to guess what you're going to read? Psalm 47. And from the New Testament, one of the texts you're going to read is Acts chapter 1. It says, verse 6, So when the Lord had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Why? Because he's the king. But then you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Now this is how we are obedient to the king until he comes. We carry out his mission in the world. And when he said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes saying, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus whom you has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now turn to chapter two, verse 32. This Jesus, he's talking about the crucifixion of Christ. He says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, quoting Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ or Messiah or Savior, Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now look up here and listen. Why does the ascension matter? Why is Psalm 47 saying he has gone up with a shout and the Lord with the sound of the trumpet? The ascension matters because Christ has ascended victoriously. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he right now, where is Christ? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? He is making intercession for us. He is pleading for us. Come back to that in a moment. There's no mention, it says with the sound of a trumpet, there's no mention at Christ's ascension of a trumpet, yet the angel said he would return as he left the world. And we know when we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says the Lord himself will descend. He's coming again. He will descend from heaven with a, a shout. <laughs> you getting it? And the voice of the archangel, with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. So until he comes, what is true? Verse nine, for the shields of the earth belong to God. Now, we've, we've been working through the Psalms. If you've been here, we've been working through the Psalms now. We're at 47. We've seen that God is our shield many times, right? Singular. God is our shield. Now, this, this kind of rocked me at first. It says, for the shields of the earth belong to God. What does that mean? Let me just illustrate it this way. I just, you, I just want you to think this week both known and unknown, most of it's unknown, of how God has shielded the people in this room. Just you. 
And I want you to think in a worldwide fashion of God's people everywhere. Of how Christ seated at the right hand of the Father has made intercession for us. Now he has shielded us. It leads to this final declaration. He is exalted. He is. He is exalted now. He is our king and we are to acknowledge him in that way. But there's also a not yet. There's also something to come. Philippians 2 verse 10 describes it this way. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and on, on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. He's king. To the glory of God the Father. Earlier in the message I said this. The response today will be either to acknowledge the kingship of the Lord or to temporarily put it off. I had this verse in my mind. Because regardless of who you are in this room and regardless of what you're acknowledging at this point in your life, there will come a day at the coming of the King Jesus and he's coming when you will have to confess that Jesus is Lord. So I have a question for you right now, this moment, this day. Am I compelled to heed the commands to join the people of God to praise the exalted king? If you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews, that's toward the end of your Bible. And let me just briefly remind you why Hebrews was written. Hebrews was written to Jewish background Christians who were facing tremendous difficulty and hardship and were considering abandoning Christianity. They were considering going back. So Hebrews is an elongated explanation of who Christ is. And it concludes with this statement. Verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So let me appeal to your mind and your heart for a moment. When I was, when I was young and my early exposure to church, I was not weekly at all. My early exposure to church I remember thinking as a 10 or 11 year old boy watching, I, I, I never consciously remember seeing a man sing in the worship services I was in. These were influential men in my community, farmers, business owners. I remember the dull nature of everything that was happening. And I remember thinking this thought as a 10 or 11 year old kid, did these people believe this? Do they really believe this? Now I later understand this. Do you have any idea who you've come to worship? Does it ever cross your mind? Do you consciously think that you're coming before the holy God of the universe and that he is a consuming fire, and it is only by his grace that he doesn't consume us? 
It is only by his grace that he has sent his son to redeem us and to save us. And that when we come before him, yes, we come with with clapping and shouting and songs of joy, but we come with reverence and with awe. He's awe-inspiring. He's awesome. His kingdom is forever. It cannot be shaken. James Montgomery Boyce, who pastored in Philadelphia many years, he tells an instance of how he was asked by someone. <laughs> it's one of these theological questions like I get, and I'm not belittling theological questions, but some people like to, you know, paint a box you can't get out of. So pastor, do you think the kingdom of God is past, present, or future? Brilliant answer. He said, it's neither. It's far bigger than your question. It's impossible to describe the kingdom of God as something that is merely in the past or something that is merely in the present or something that is merely in the future. It's all those things and more. It's something that is internal and external. Then this sentence, (laughs) this rocked me. God's kingdom involves willing compliance as well as forced compliance. Psalm 47 say. Then he says this. The only meaningful question to you is are you a part of this kingdom? Are you? Now I'm going to lean pretty heavy for a moment. News came this week through research that 50% of young people by the time they reach 21 years of age from Southern Baptist churches. Now we're not talking about evangelicals. We're not talking about mainline. We're not talking about Christians. We're talking about Southern Baptist. 50% in the last 10 years when they reach the age of 21 abandon the faith and the church. Why? There are lots of reasons, but I'm going to give you a summary of two. Number one, the kingdom of this world is more compelling to them than the kingdom of God. The narrative of this world is a better gospel to them than the gospel of Christ. And for those of you who think you can raise your children like pagans and bring them to church once a Sunday and once a week or once a month and think they're going to follow Jesus with their life, you better forget it because it's not going to happen in this world. What our children have got to see is they've got to see a parent and a church where people are commanded and compelled to worship the Lord. Second, it's how we present the gospel. When you stand in the waters of baptism in this local church, you're going to make a confession. And if we're not confident that this is your confession, you won't go to these waters. And that confession is this. Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. 
For too long, the evangelical part of the United States has preached Jesus as Savior and Lordship as something optional. That's not the Bible. That's not the Christ who said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, I am Lord. Now, I was a novice, but I can remember early on, you know, after I become a Christian, I questioned everything. I know I drove people nuts. I heard this language, you need to make Jesus Lord. I'm thinking, what? How do you make Jesus Lord? He is. He's not waiting on you to decide he's Lord. He is Lord. And you will either submit to him now in repentance or you will submit to him when he comes. You can write me off as a fundamentalist today. You can write me off as dumb or stupid or whatever it is you want to do. But I have faithfully, as best I can, told you today that he's the king. And some of you are going to remember this sermon on that day. And I appeal to you this day to look to Christ and believe. To turn from your way, from your little kingdom, and turn to the Lord and Savior who is Christ Jesus, who died and rose on your behalf. And you who believe it, please praise him. Praise him. With joy, praise him. Let's pray. Oh God, oh God. As I stand here before these, your people, we confess that you are God who is merciful and gracious and kind. But you're also awesome and king and Lord with humility now, heeding the words of your command, but compelled by your love and who you are. May we come now as your people and express with joy our song, the song of salvation. And Lord, I plead for the man or woman, for the young person present, who is under conviction of the Holy Spirit, that right now they would repent of their sin confess their need of Christ and cry out to you to save them. Then they will praise you. Move among us, we plead and we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.